Welcome back to the incredibly silent tiny room. It is. It's got it's got noise cancelling powers. I know. After being in the pub and recording in the pub last week, I know. But the ambience, Michael. The ambience. I miss the ambience. The ambience. Uh, John. And John. Not, John was. John's great. John's not with us anymore. He hasn't died. <laughs> he's just, just just to be clear, John's yeah. still with us in that sense, yes. but he's no longer in the tiny room. No. Um, so welcome back to the tiny room. I'm Michael, uh, host of Michael and Benjamin's podcast, and with me is my unusually... Oh, I can't think of a positive word. Unusually co-host. <laughs> he's my unusually co-host, Ben! <laughs> Say hello, Ben. Hello. Oh, you didn't go... Oh, yeah, I, I didn't. I don't know. Do you want to do it? Do I don't want to pigeonhole myself. I, I, I want to branch out to other podcasts, and I feel like <laughs> if I limit myself now... Wait, hold on. You want to branch out to other podcasts? I'll stay in this one, but I need to do work on the side, Michael. I've got kids. I, first of all, no, you don't. Second of all, true. <laughs> and are, what, are, you, are you seeing other podcasters? I didn't want to tell you this way in front of the listeners, Michael, but... What, uh, what but podcast look, are you doing? I'm on an automated mini trains monthly podcast. <laughs> no, you're not. I don't like automated mini trains, uh, but my co-host is very attractive. Oh, it's a lady. Yeah. There, look, Benjamin. Benjamin, I'm going to stop this line. The automated mini. I'm going to stop this line. It's rail enthusiast. I know the miniature rail enthusiastic scene in Ireland. <laughs> if there was an attractive woman called Regina, I would know. <laughs> I would know her. <laughs> No, I'll never leave this podcast, Michael. I'm afraid I'm Yay. going off the rails on a crazy train that isn't painted delicately by Regina. Um, yeah, no, I'm bound. I'm bound to see this out. Yeah, I'm regretting it now, though. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Ben, we're back from seeing uh, what was it? That, what did we see last week that we hated? Oh, the fucking Inhumans. Inhumans. Yeah, it wasn't great. Um, so, do you want to do you want to hear the box office? Go on, give me give me the give me the breakdown. Well, we posted on Instagram the how many people were there? Maybe fifteen people. Fifteen, if Fif- even fifteen people. The generous fifteen. Yeah, probably somewhere between twelve and fifteen. Uh, in Cineworld, which is the biggest cinema in Dublin, it is at half past eight on a Saturday evening. Now, mm. thinking back. There was a football match on that same day, mm-hmm. and Electric Picnic, which is a very popular music festival. So it may not have been reflective of the overall interest in humans. Yeah. So, box office wise, it has done kind of all right for what it is. Really? Yeah. Um, it's going to take in less than two million. But is it people like us who are just going to see it because? They're they completists a, and we have to like because they have a podcast because they have a podcast <laughs> just a, an ocean of Michael and Ben's um, and and poor unfortunate John's probably <laughs> what even is this probably yeah. probably yes to a certain extent it has made more money than Game of Thrones did when they did this did Game of Thrones do this yes the season something finale was released in I IMAX. see uh, the one about the wall. The wall falling down? The wall... No, I think it was two years ago. Is that major spoilers? That I just... Yeah, just oh. spoiler there. Should I edit that out? No, it's just people's own fault. Sorry. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, the sickening part is, I don't even watch Game of Thrones. No, he doesn't, he doesn't even like it. He doesn't like things that are fun and enjoyable. God, no. That's why I do the podcast. <laughs> 
<laughs> this is the this is the bitterest this podcast has ever been. And yet I've got a huge smile on my face. Yeah, this, is, uh, this sounds very much like a final podcast. Anyway, Inhumans box office fine, fine. fine. Like not by any stretch of success. Yes. Like a fucking disaster. But oh, so not an amusingly bad. Like Kevin Feige will be laughing at like Pearl Mutter. She could say they booked it up. He yeah. Oh well, it was every inch the Scott. Look, how long? How far are we in? We're nearly four minutes. We've had a bit of time to ruminate. Mm. What What did you think of it in hindsight? Do you still not like it? I think it's really messily edited. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the fact that they shot it in IMAX is actually a crutch, or actually a hindrance more than a, not even a crutch. It's just a, an absolute hindrance because mm-hmm. they keep going for these big, well-framed shots and. You know things like that, but the thing about well-framed shots—if you're going to do symmetry and and things like that and well-balanced shots—you should really have quality cameramen working the thing. The sets still look very cheap yeah. and very sparse, and there's not a lot of visual interest in any of these really nice symmetrical shots they go in. And then, more importantly than any of that, um, I still can't get over how badly acted it was. Yeah, I was going over it again in my head. I know you were. Yeah, it's so badly. Acting. Yes, it's poor. The acting is poor. Like, Black Bolt is Mr. Bean's nephew. Like, his facial expressions are all over the place. Yeah. And I know they have to be because he doesn't really get to do a lot. But it's the same facial expression with higher eyebrows or lower eyebrows depending on the severity of emotion. So I reread 1999's Inhumans Volume 2. Oh. Is that Neil Gaiman? Um, no, Paul Jenkins. Oh. Jay Lee. Oh, I like Jay Lee. Yeah, he's good. Does some real nice art. Yeah. Good art, a lot of black. He's 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 a big fan of black. He likes black. black anyway, in that they really balance uh, they really balance Black Bolt being the main character with him being a distant, detached. Like he he's almost like it's almost like Black Bolt looms over the story. Oh, it, so it's it, the it, other characters' reactions to him as opposed to yeah. That's good. I mean, but it balances it so well because he, he still is a character with motivations, yeah, and, yeah, and things like that. But he kind of looms over it. He's like he's like Damocles, Ooh. dangling a sword over the plot. Ooh. It's like is Black Bolt going to do? So? That's how powerful Ooh. he is. Like because if he ever decides to intervene, that's it for whoever's in opposition. Exactly. Pretty much. Yeah, but then this Black Bolt gets beaten up by cops in Hawaii. Yeah, they didn't really balance that very well. No. He's very hapless as a king. Yeah. And I like the way he keeps selling people to trust him. Mm. But if I was one of his subjects, especially in his close council, I'd be like, this guy's an idiot. Yeah. Look got, at his face. Beaten up. <laughs> <laughs> Look at his face. So many raised eyebrows. Um, no, very badly acted. And so badly paced. Well, it was a TV show. It was TV show paced. It wasn't. It was. it was very, very slapdash and very quick. I'm trying to. I'm trying to minimize my hand gestures today, so I've pressed both my hands together <laughs> in prayer. Because in normally, because normally Michael gets quite distracted due to his half cat genetics. Um, it's not working. He's still, still look, over here. Oh, 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 oh. There we go. Who's a good boy? Psylocke is um, still where we left her last week. She is. She's sitting right in the, in the same spot she left her last week. <laughs> go on. Anyway, what were you saying? Um, slapdash. I just thought the pacing was really, really wrong. You run through any of this, it built none of the characters' motivations. Mm-hmm. I think you could have done the first two episodes introducing us to the world of Adelan. Mm-hmm. 
I thought the whole opening shot where you just get shown this girl who who's an inhuman that and was awful and she gets killed and, and she just gets shot you have all this investment in her fear and her she would have been a perfect lens into inhumans uh, I, I know what you mean that might have been a bit obvious as opposed to the weirdly badly acted completely unrelatable council of crap council of genetics council of genetics like um, I'm sorry they're they're uh, it feels wrong to single out the women but the, the lady actresses they were lady not actors, they were across the board the caliber that girl who gets killed what are you an inhuman oh you mean inhuman's journey into exposition yeah, yeah. Oh, um, God. that was the other thing I hated about it just really bad storytelling mm-hmm. they let none of the story unfold naturally everybody reiterated their motivations Karnak said about 85 times I need to find my king Karnak was the only one who did any acting he was good he had like a at the start he was good yeah he seemed to lose that as he went when well, he suffered a brain injury but his initial his initial attitude and stuff is quite entertaining yeah and he's quite witty yeah I liked him he was he was the highlight for me and the we talked about this already but and the bit where he exploded his parents yeah that was uh, that was pretty good vaporizing your parents uh, yeah but look it wasn't great was it nah it was a bit, bit crap what so, about you what did you what did you ruminate on uh, what well, well, the main thing was how, just how TV it was, just how oh, so you have to take so ABC. Yeah, how you have to take these these isolated, mysterious, very inhuman characters. Like their motivations are usually very inhuman. Mm. They they well, I, they basically made them X Men, put them on the run in Hawaii. Yeah, kind of, kind of. It was Funny very... thing is, um, there's a line in the Inhumans comic which was written 19 years ago mm-hmm. um, where the in that one Atalan isn't on the moon it's on Atlantis which has recently resurfaced close, oh. close to Portugal and Namor has allowed them to well, Namor is one of the side characters about whether they're going to be allowed to stay there or not and ah. stuff like that but there's a mercenary army attacking them and one of the bad guys says couldn't we have set up camp somewhere nicer like Hawaii and it was almost as if they wrote the joke oh. like 11 preempting years the 17 years in advance preempting the fucking show yeah anyway yeah Lockjaw was kind of cool yeah but they spent their whole budget on that do you remember mm. Gorgon's feet oh, the big prosthetic when he was walking on the sand and he couldn't walk because he was in prosthetics his <laughs> <laughs> surf friends by the way if you want to beat Gorgon in a battle just go near the ocean yeah idiot he walked in. He walked in, and Did then he, I, I suppose he'd never seen the ocean. But also, like he thought he could just like could he not feel the huge force of this large, like threatening object? Idiot! There were a lot of idiotic maneuvers. See, this is the thing. That's the other thing. There was this weird juxtaposition between what the Inhumans knew about Earth mm-hmm. and what they didn't know about Earth. For example, they knew what cars were. Yeah. They knew... Uh, what hair clippers are. Yeah, what hair clippers are. Didn't know what the ocean was. <laughs> <laughs> Dopes. Uh, yeah, it wasn't great. Look, I'll keep an eye on <laughs> Maximus wasn't even mad. No, he wasn't mad, Maximus. He was just Maximus the... The really, slightly justified? Yeah, Maximus the really quite justified and well-planned, almost bloodless coup. Egalitarian Maximus. Yeah. Doesn't have the same ring. He led an almost bloodless coup. 
The only person who got shot was Triton, and I the reckon he's one, alive. The only casualty was Medusa's hair. Yeah, he shaved Medusa's hair, had some guys shoot Triton. Triton probably survived. I think he's alive. He's out there somewhere. Yeah, he's definitely out there. Probably, probably uh, hopefully being recast with someone who can act. He had a very bad prosthetic job. I remember distinctly feeling a phallic vibe off yeah, his prosthetic. He did prosthetics. look like a green penis. He looked like a gangrenous penis. <laughs> Was that on the spot or did you think of that earlier? No, I thought it was on the spot. That's pretty good. The gangrenous penis. That's the episode title. Anyway, <laughs> just thinking of uh, how Inhumans kind of went a bit wrong and went a bit wonky. Yes. Uh, we're going to do. We're going to have one of our famous negative episodes. Yay! Megasode. We're, we're a pretty positive podcast. We are. We're quite positive people. in general. Uh, so let's let's have a little negasode. Woo! Um, and we're going to talk about uh, four comics that we enjoyed. And where they went wrong? Yeah, where they where they jeffed the shark or yeah. jumped the shark? Jump, well, yeah, that will make more sense in a moment. More sense in a few minutes. Um, again, we had this conversation off air. I think. I think we did. Yeah. But um, I have this thing where I'm sure I'm not the only one who thinks this. But when you're judging a serialized story, mm-hmm. you can't really tell when it's gone wrong. Very hard to do so. When you're in it, mm. so for my choices, at, at at least, I have things from the 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 late most recent is two thousand six. Mm-hmm. So everything I'm going to talk about is at least ten years old. Mine, so, mine is all the mine are also well. No, one of them isn't, but one, one of them is. Uh, I have another one that I could talk about that I think is currently jumping the shark. Oh, excellent! Do, should we explain what jumping the shark means? Sorry, yeah. Um, so what even is jumping the shark? Uh, yeah. Jumping the shark is. Um, a phrase that came from Happy Days, yeah. of all places. Uh, Happy Days is a was a well loved sitcom. Uh, well, don't from... explain what Happy Days is, because then we're just gonna. <laughs> oh, it's gonna be sitcom. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sorry, yes, yeah. you're gonna have to disclaim what anyway, a sitcom is. <laughs> anyway, pri- uh, prior to a moment that became recognised as jumping the shark, mm-hmm. Happy Days was reasonably realistic. Uh, reasonably rule following followed its own rules continuity wise yeah. uh, series yeah. however mm-hmm. TV audiences are fickle Yeah, they often need a little injection of interest things yeah. like that and in a certain episode of Happy Days yeah. the Fonz Very a, a character. beloved character King of Cool mm-hmm. in that particular universe not in anybody else's um Actually, was uh, ski. Uh, what, what do you call water that? Skiing? Actually, water skiing. Thank you very much. Water skiing. That's a little blip there. Transformer down. Um, water skiing, and quite literally jumped over a great white shark. Mm-hmm. And this broke all the rules of Happy Days because there was no realistic continuity. Uh, it was very out of place with the rest of the episode, and it became uh, the term which is jumping the shark. So when a series takes a complete turn turn for the worst usually mm-hmm. uh, and abandons all its previously uh, maintained and carefully built rules mm-hmm. uh, it's called jumping the shark I would say I'm not disagreeing with you because you're absolutely you right you're, no you are right but in recently in the last couple of years jumping the shark has almost morphed into it's lost that meaning that you've just described Okay, and it has started to mean Get bad. Yeah, I think. Yeah, maybe, maybe my my analysis would be no, no, too uh, philosophical. But I think yours is, uh, yeah, probably closer. It's, no, yours is right. Turn uh, to the worse. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. But I think recently, people have been using "jump the shark" to say that was a bad episode. 
maybe oh, that's they, the beginning of the end for this show. Oh, they and look at it as the decline. The point the, of the decline. The, the nadir. Yes. No, the nadir is the lowest point. Is that not what... Oh, okay, yeah, fair enough. You yeah, can't decline from... Oh, okay, point. sorry. Yeah, sorry. It's sorry. The, the peak? Curses. No. No, I think... The beginning of the, the end. The plateau? <laughs> the end of the plateau? The ledge. The ledge. The precipice. The precipice. The precipice. <laughs> so it's when the, the show f- goes off the precipice. <laughs> That's what people have started using it to mean, but I think yours makes sense. Anyway, Ben, talk about a thing. So... For for my my jumping the shark things, yeah. I have I have a great love of Batman. You do, as I've you know. This before. Um, we did a whole episode once where I tried to convince you that Batman the animated series was quite swell. Yeah. Um, there is another man in the world. There's another man who who likes Batman possibly even more than I do. Uh, Kevin Smith. Ke- oh, sorry. There are two men in yeah. the world. Kevin Smith is not the focus of my my ire today. Okay. Um, it is it is uh, Scottish super comic writer Grant Morrison. Is that um, what Grant Morrison sounds like? He sounds a little bit like this. Does he? Yeah, it's very soft. I think that's probably a good Mark Miller. Um, I think they're both same ilk kind of thing. I so uh, I focused on Grant Morrison. He's a bit odd. Bit of an old man, um, but Grant Morrison is also widely recognised as uh, that's a cat biscuit writing. <laughs> oh, sorry, I thought that was part of your action figure. It just touched a cat biscuit. Goddamn cat owners, um, and um, widely recognised as one of the more literary comic book writers, yeah. or maybe one of the more experimental comic yeah. book writers. Alan Moore working in comics. Yeah, like a young. Overzealous Alan Moore. Uh, Alan Moore esque. Yeah. Neil Gaiman. I think, yeah, what what separates Grant Morrison, I think, from, from Neil Gaiman and Alan Moore is Alan Moore and Neil Gaiman are quite happy to tell stories um, that don't necessarily answer all your questions, which is mm-hmm. very frustrating for some readers. They're quite happy to let mystery lie as it sits. There's a mm-hmm. lot of unknowable uh, aspects to Alan Moore and Neil Gaiman. Grant Morrison, on the other hand, is very much into just breaking down the past, the present, and the future of different characters at a molecular level. And, like, he goes back in timelines and he takes aspects from the thing and he, he puts them in uh, in modern context and he tries to fix a lot of the mess that's come from Silver Age comics and things like that. Silver Age comics was... Uh, We've done this before. It was a point in comics where... <laughs> do, you ex- do you want to explain what comics are? <laughs> uh, basically, it's a narrative tone. It's a <laughs> sequence, usually illustrated by one and written by another man. Um, but... Or lady. Sales went down only in modern times. Uh, sales went down after the Golden Age of Heroes to do this. They try and make quirky, weirder super villains and heroes and stuff like that. A lot of them are forgotten about. But Grant Morrison doesn't like to forget about things. He goes into the past of characters and he pulls everything back out kicking and screaming kicking and screaming is the key phrase one of the characters that he does this with constantly is the Batman uh, the Batman is mm-hmm. a great character we're going with the are we I, I'm going to say the Batman out of okay. respect for, for his work in Gotham he's okay. done a lot to help that city um, so Batman sorry I'll take away the, the article uh, the Batman yeah uh, I'm going to keep you guessing um, the Batman gallery of villains is already pretty solid. Mm-hmm. It's well established. Joker. They've all got their own thing. Penguin. Catwoman. Clayface. Catwoman. Bane. 
Catwoman. <laughs> oh, good bit. Mix, mix been trapped in one of his Catwoman cycles. I'm stuck in a Catwoman loop again. Um, so um, pretty good, but not good enough. Grant Morrison, the Riddler. Uh, <laughs> Catwoman. Catwoman. <laughs> Grant Morrison did a long run for DC on. Batman called Batman R.I.P. and Batman the Black Glove um, and yeah basically uh, all of that uh, really went deep into Batman's past there is a famous iteration of Batman called the Batman of Zuren Ra the coloredy guy the coloredy guy and it was a really weird throwaway story in the past where Batman went into an alternate dimension mm-hmm. and found a super powered version of himself on another planet right bit odd mm-hmm. from the 70s but it was the 70s there was a lot of acid it's fine yeah um and grant morrison was like I, that's, allegedly that's that's hilarious but uh, i think i think it could be really realistic and so he went in took a look at batman of zero and ra and made it into batman's subconscious backup program right uh, so if batman's mind is assaulted or altered in any way mm-hmm. uh, he will sense this and his own kind of biological antivirus software will kick in in his mind psychological antivirus software mm. and so the batman of zero and ra was a high functioning instinctive version of the batman that came out if batman came under psychological assault really yeah i have that too but i just curl up into a ball and weep um, I usually don't even make it into a ball I just kind of <laughs> fall in the street and gibber uh, <laughs> uh, but that is not the only subject of my ire okay the comic that I hate for its depiction of Batman Uh-oh. is JLA which was DC's 1997 relaunch of the Justice League of America mm-hmm. Grant Morrison was the head writer Um no, 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 um, the first four issues focused on something called the New World Order. Uh-huh. And the New World Order was where a competing group of superheroes from another planet came in and started to fix the Earth. Right. Now, naturally, the Justice League is suspicious of these new heroes. Mm-hmm. And maybe everything isn't what it seems. Too good to be true. Often isn't. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, turns out they're white Martians, which are the evil version of Martians. Uh, in DC's universe and they were there to take over the planet they were going to help people only insofar as it served their goal to remove the Justice League and then they were going to take over the planet ah bunch of dickheads to do this they managed to outwit and overpower every single member of the Justice League except except for Batman obviously he's Batman okay now the whole premise of this story is based on one key line why would we bother with Batman He's only human. Classic. Classic. Grant Morrison has such a hard-on mm-hmm. for human potential right. that every single powered member of the Just League is overpowered except for Batman, yeah. who they assume has died in a plane crash. And then what does Batman do? He comes back and takes out all of these highly powered white Martians. That sounds great. And takes them out in a robotic, systematic, over-the-top, military general-style assault. It is great. The first time you read it. Right. But then, when every single Batman arc that you read after that is, oh, do they have Batman? No, they couldn't get Batman. Why? Because Batman's too good at planning. And every time you walk into a comic book shop, Michael, every time you walk into a Comic-Con, or you go somewhere where there's a really, 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 really strong-willed Batman fan, you will hear the, the war cry of DC fans, which is, 
who would win in a fight between eh and Batman? Yeah. Okay? It doesn't matter who you pick. Hulk, Captain America, Superman, Martian Manhunter, My friend Iron Dave. Man. Dave. Dave. Dave's Nick's friend Dave. Pretty competent. He's got some pretty cool reality warping powers too. Dave? Yeah. Did I tell you about them? Maybe he erased it from my mind. Yeah, because you're an immortal vampire. Um, we've covered this before from another dimension. It was in last week's episode. Was it? It was, yeah. Pretty sleepy last Dave's, week. Dave's, Dave's, Dave's on form. He's just erasing all over the place. But so, yeah. you will hear this argument. Mm-hmm. And there will be some monster who refuses to accept reality and says, Ah, no, Batman would plan for that. That's his answer. Batman would plan for that. Batman would account for that. Batman would have a strategy for that. Because Batman is the best planner on the earth. And I get that that's what people like about Batman. And I get that strategy matters. But what Grant Morrison does is he turns him into the Bat-God. And that's what I refer to Morrison's Batman as. He is Bat-God. Because he sees every variable. He's like Sherlock from that BBC show where Sherlock just sees the world better. And he's unbeatable. But he never has a flaw. You understand? He's just cold and empty and it's the worst because I love Batman but I love what I love about Batman is that he has to work harder and he has to do better than all the other superheroes that's why I like Batman and when you make him into this infallible Bat God and he's so boring and was it Morrison who created this? is it Morrison's fault that when people are talking about if Batman will win a fight they have to talk about if Batman has planned or not? yes Really? That can be traced back to 1997. Really? That's fascinating. Bat God. That's the most interesting thing you've told me on this podcast. Oh, that's nice. Very niche. Very niche. <laughs> no, but it's a pet peeve of mine, so it's it's right there. Uh, you can see other iterations of the Bat God in Tower of Babel, which came later in that run. I think it was issue 25 of that JLA, mm. 1997 JLA, where the Justice League is taken out by Rachel Gould. Um, using Batman's plans. Using Batman's plans. He hacked Batman's computer, and Batman has made... Sorry. <laughs> and Batman has made um, detailed, detailed breakdowns of how to eliminate yeah. or neutralise the League. That was a JLA episode, wasn't it? It was. It yeah. was. It's become huge. And again, they come back to, uh, Batman's already defeated the Justice League. And it's like... I like that you've invented this yeah. straw man character. Yeah. And I will. <laughs> I will just burn him. Well, look. Come here. I'm going to talk about a thing. Cool. What's your thing? And it's I need kind a few of, minutes to cool off. I'm yeah, I'm, I'm kind of stopping um, you for your heart's yeah, I sake. Think, I think it's done. Um, have you ever read... The Authority. I have flipped through it. Yeah, so The Authority was was a Warren Ellis. I do like Warren Ellis. Who you've heard of. I'm a big fan. You could probably, you could probably lump him in with Morrison and Gaiman. He's and, part of that new wave. Yeah. So, uh, Warren Ellis was writing for Wildstorm. Or Wildst- Wildstorm. I, I, see, I'm post-Wildstorm. Yeah, you're too young I'm, for I'm Wildstorm. A, I'm not a generation. Uh, Wildstorm he was writing for a, a comic called Stormwatch and Stormwatch was about black ops superheroes before every comic book was about black ops superheroes the boys yeah for example um, it was fine it was, it was good uh, no one was reading it fair except the executives at Wildstorm oh who loved it great because they were just the executives at Wildstorm were just comic book writers and they were like, oh, it's very well written. That's really good. This is quite it's good. got no mass yeah. appeal, but it's quite well written. Right, exactly. So they killed Wildstorm off, or Stormwatch, sorry. They killed Stormwatch off. Yeah. Stormwatch were killed by aliens. 
Yeah. Like the aliens from Aliens. Oh. Yeah. What? Yeah, it was good. Mm. It's a crossover. Interesting. Yeah. Mm. One of the only times that where it's been canon. Yeah, and and the aliens from Aliens were threatening in a superhero story because they actually permanently, permanently. I'm doing air quotes because they're all back now. Nobody but, dies in comics. But they permanently killed. I think six of the characters wow they essentially wiped out a, a superhero the- team that's kind of cool it was it was pretty good anyway that's irrelevant the surviving characters and some new characters were brought together to make the authority sure and the authority are a bit of a JLA Justice League pastiche yeah yeah there are yeah. a lot you have the Midnighter uh, he's like Batman Batman knockoff but Batman who can calculate a fight before it happens just like Karnak in, yeah. in in the Inhumans TV show but not the Inhumans comic uh, you have Apollo who's basically Superman Superman and they're they're gay gentlemen they're gaymen no that's Neil Gaiman sorry they're homosexual they're homosexual gentlemen who are in a relationship together uh, an unusual relationship no no as in no sorry as in their their characters are completely opposite of one another Oh, uh, sorry. I didn't mean in a. No. no, no, no. But that's not what I thought you meant. Um, I, I was going to say that it's not unusual, in not because. No, hold on. You don't have to panic. You haven't said anything horrible. I know. I it's haven't. Not, I'm like, what did I do? Oh no. Not unusual in the sense that they're homosexuals, and that's unusual. Unusual in the sense that it's the most normal romantic relationship oh, in a comic book of all time. It's very healthy. Yeah. There's just two people in a relationship, nice. and there's no great trials or errors. It's uh, oh, sorry. that's kind of where we're going. Oh crap! So anyway, they have a great relationship. Uh, you have a, a few other characters. Jack Hawksmore is really a cool character. He, has, he is such a cool character, isn't he? He's the god of cities. Yeah, and he, he can, can talk to cities. He can talk to cities. He gets stronger when he's in cities. The soles of his feet are rubber like tires. Yeah, he can run up walls and he can teleport through windows. As long kind as he's cool. in a city, he's also city Paris. Anyway, they're a JLA pastiche, yeah. and the idea of them is: what would the world be like in a more realistic world if you had superhero teams who were more powerful than any government? So they look at the geopolitical ramifications right. of, um, for example, Stormwatch was UN controlled, so ah. there was a terrorist attack in a Stormwatch comic, and the the terrorist leader got away with it because he was the leader of a micro nation crap and then in authority they go in and they blow the shit up of his whole country wow yeah they're like that's it he, he's doing too much terrorism let's go pre-September 11th it's the weird Mandarin knockoff yeah, yeah. so it was pre-September I have the hardcover there it's great mm-hmm. um, it was a good comic pre-September 11 in the USA so lots of widespread wow. destruction and stuff lots of terrorism stuff uh, Brian Hitch was the artist oh I like that I like Brian Hitch Brian Hitch was great he kind of, this was he did kind of, very realistic comic book art they kind of invented the term for this comic they called it widescreen comics oh. and he was the one who basically made this modern comic style of looking like a big screen movie yeah um, great it's a great comic the first 12 issues are fantastic they fight a terrorist attack they fight an attack from an alternate dimension yeah I love the alternate dimension one very and, strange and they fight an attack by God, who is this giant organism who f- created the solar system. It's fantastic. Uh, a criticism you can level against it is that it's quite samey. Yeah, well, in each same one, characters each time. Yeah. Jenny Sparks is great. Jenny Sparks is pretty good. Mm. She smokes cigarettes, so she, you know she's edgy. 
She's very edgy and she wears a Union Jack shirt with yeah. no apologies to anyone. Yeah. Um, the the anyway, characters are great. Action is a bit repetitive. Yeah. Well. Each arc focuses on here come the things out of the sky. Let's fight them. But the Fair. the art is amazing. It's really like what the Justice League would be like if they lived in a world where they didn't have to stay within the continuity of other comic books. Yes. You can have big world-changing events and not have the Batman simultaneously fighting a small battle in Gotham because mm. he has his own comic. Anyway, loved it. Great. Volume 2. Ellis and Hitch leave and they're replaced by beloved comic-creating duo Mark Miller and Frank Quietly? Quiltly? Quietly? I'm going to say quietly, but it's because I don't know. I like Frank quietly that man I like him yeah I think he has a really interesting style that's yeah, very weird, flexible weird scrunchy faces animated like it's very biological yeah that's how I tend to describe it yeah. the lines are very unangled yeah did some good work on X-Men yeah he does some good stuff All-Star Superman was very good All-Star Superman was good All-Star Batman, Batman was, was very good that art wasn't, wise that wasn't was that him wasn't it in the pig face people oh that's yeah that's Batman and Robin All-Star Batman was a weird thing that Frank Miller got to do with uh, Jim Lee okay um, you so, don't want to talk about that they got cancelled the two <laughs> didn't get on so where are we yeah well, no, we have time volume 3 no volume 4 actually volume 2 okay oh. oh so does it make you sad Michael it really does make yeah. me sad Mark Miller oh. Mark Miller likes a pastiche he loves Nell Pastiche. He likes the pastiche. And he latched on, I think, to the fact that the authority was an Avengers, uh, a JLA pastiche. Mm-hmm. And he introduced an Avengers pastiche. Could could uh, could I could I just preempt what might across? have happened? Yeah. Did Mark Miller do the only plot that he knows how to write where all the villains came together and worked together to overcome the heroes? Pretty much. Yeah, because that's the only thing he knows how to write, you see, Michael. Um, so what happens is, at the end of The Good Authority, Jenny Sparks dies because she's the spirit of the 20th century and she dies at midnight at the beginning of the 21st century and her powers are based on the, the main electricity because yeah. electricity was the thing of the, the thing 20th, of the 20th century. century so she's replaced by Jenny Quantum yeah who's a tiny baby yeah and the bad guys realise that if you control these century children century children you control the development of the century yeah so they want Which to get pretty good yeah it's kind of it's a cool concept makes sense so they want to get Jenny Quantum and they make super soldiers to go get her. Nice. They make Thunder God. And oh. yeah, you see where this is going? And basically, they make about 30 superheroes who are army colored pastiches oh. of the Avengers. But that's not necessarily awful because oh, it's, okay. it's a small team of seven fighting 30. None of the Avengers the pastiches mm. are as powerful as the JLA guys but okay. there's more of them and stuff it could be interesting okay and they're not faceless repetitive things from the sky like the they have characterization a little bit yeah. but everything that you liked about the characters in the first 12 gets blown up and ruined <sighs> uh, the, the doctor character he might have enjoyed drugs now he's a heroin addict um, oh, the engineer who's a lady. A lady. Uh, she's it seems like she might have had one more than one sexual partner. Now she's essentially an infomaniac. Oh, for God's You know sake. what I mean? Apollo and Midnighter, they're in a happy relationship. That's not going to last. 
So, <sighs> he millered it. Oh, he millered the hell out of it. Mark Miller, you can level a lot of criticism against him, but one of them is that he likes an old rape. What is that? I don't know. So, <laughs> anyway, oh. the, the Captain America... I'm so sorry, guys. The Captain America pastiche and the Thor pastiche. Is that how you pronounce that word? I don't think it is. Think they managed to get the upper hand on um, Apollo, one of the gay characters. One of the gay characters. And it's very strongly implied, but not shown, that they beat him and then rape him. Oh. And then kidnap him. And oh. Then... I don't like this. Continue to torture and, and rape him. The tiny room is very uncomfortable. I know, it's awful. I don't. Then Midnighter, the Batman character... Rescues yeah. him, kills one of them, or I think he maybe frees Apollo and Apollo kills him, doesn't matter. But the other one survives, oh, no. and then Midnighter rapes him, Revenge rape. anally, with a jackhammer. Ooh. Oh, fuck. Like, That's... Yeah. I'm actually really uncomfortable. It's like... Right now. Like... <laughs> I don't want to get. I don't want to get. That's not jumping. That's raping the shark. <laughs> raping the shark. I don't want to get too deep into. <laughs> I don't want to get too deep into Mark Miller and rape because that's a that's too heavy a topic for for today's podcast. But just <laughs> hold on. Ben needs a little break here because I got too deep into into rape. Uh, I am so sorry. Yeah. Well, look, let's not get too deep into the politics of Mark Miller writing about rape because he, he sticks it in a lot <laughs> but it's, it's just because it pops up all over the place he does it again in the boys yeah boys does it in the boys in, we hear he gets raped by yeah. the Batman character in that kick ass uh, there's a rape in kick ass too is there a rape in kick ass too yeah oh, it's a nasty rape. Uh, the bad guys in kick ass too rape and kill his girlfriend uh, fuck there's a lot of superhero rape um, Jesus, what's that about? I think it's his way of showing someone's a baddie. I mean, you can be pretty bad without raping people, but you're really bad if you rape people. But anyway, look, it just... The characters, they just went from... They became parodies of themselves. Wow. As much as the, these Avengers characters were parodies of the Avengers, the main characters almost became parodies of... Of their original... Of themselves. And iteration. Look, it just ruined it for me. It was, Mark, if you need to talk to somebody... <laughs> About this fixation of yours? I don't know. Don't talk to us. Yeah. Talk to professionals. Hmm. Please, just... We're all... Rooting... No, we're not. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, do another one. Uh, Yeah, so... um, Mine mine is a little bit lighter. Mine mine doesn't have much rape in it at all. Um, Oh, good. Yeah. um, So, in... The Hulk. The Hulk, yes. The Hulk, Michael. I've heard of him. He's he's quite a popular character, really. There's one there. There's two Uh, there, actually. There's a few knocking around in this room. Yeah. Great character. Um, how do you feel about Ed McGuinness as an artist? He's all right. He's big, all right. Big very, jaws. Very animated. Yeah. Uh, strong jawlines. Yeah. Noble chins. Yeah. Square heads. Yeah. Big square heads. Nice musculature. It's good. Yeah. He does. He does good muscle and a big square head. Does muscle. So that's a good combination. Ed Where's McGuinness he's and the Hulk. They go together. I think Ed McGuinness is American. Yeah. But I think he's probably one sixteenth Irish somewhere. Sweet. Mm, probably. Does he have a big square head? 
He doesn't, I don't think so. Hmm. I don't think so. But everything he does is in that style. He's actually a hyper-talented artist. He can do oil paintings and things like that, but he chooses, he opts for Pizza a much more cartoonish style in, in how he... I once read two... He did... Of the run I'm about to talk about, he did two versions of the comic. He did one in a hyper-realistic style that he sometimes uses. Did he? And he did one in an animated style, and you can compare the two. It's very interesting. That sounds great. Yeah, post a link I in will, the description. I will post a link in the description. Uh, it's very interesting. Uh, anyway, in 2013, Hulk was a little bit down. That's quite recent. On his... Yeah, not that long ago. Um, the run began, and this has become kind of a defining run, because it introduced a very important character... Who? To the Hulk universe. Rolk, or Red Hulk. Mm. And Red Hulk was this mysterious new Hulk who yeah. could take on and beat the old Hulk. Uh-oh. Okay? Does he have a big square head? He has a big square head. And he has a buzz cut. Oh. A military buzz cut. Like which makes him man. even bigger and squarer. <laughs> so, this was fine. They introduce new characters all the time. Yeah. It's nice to have an exact... Who wrote it? Well... Oh, have I jumped jumped your gun there? Oh, don't tell me then. You jumped the gun. But, I was perfectly okay with all that. That's fine. Yeah. But then, another writer started to do a Morrison. Where we went into the Hulk's past. And Uh started to pull weird things from the Hulk's past. Yeah. Out. And just drag it out again and again and again. Mm -hmm. And then we started taking... Not one or two villains to focus our story on, but six or seven villains Good. that we had to jump around with. Mm-hmm. Not unlike Hush when he did Hush. Same writer who has a weird fetish for taking all the villains of something and dragging them in. It's Jeff Loeb. Oh. It's Jeff fucking Loeb. Oh. Who? He's, he's with Marvel TV now, isn't he? Yeah, he writes. He wrote. He did the. He's a producer. He's like a producer for their Netflix run. Oh no! He did part ones. of. He did part of Daredevil. No, he did Daredevil. Did he do the good bits of Daredevil? He did the good bits of Daredevil. He stopped the lights. He got more influence. You see, I'd say after it did well. So I'd say that's why he got lobier. Oh no! Um, and the characterization is all over the shop. So, consistency is not. Jeff Loeb's talent no when it comes to characters fucking things up is his he, talent he tends to write characters that are a little inconsistent sometimes mm-hmm. they're likeable other times they're just insufferable oh. um, and he is largely responsible for turning Bruce Banner from the victim of the Hulk mm-hmm. into a neurotic pissy Woody Allen ripoff you think uh, he writes a very unlikable Bruce Banner that's very interesting he writes a very unlikable Bruce Banner and that became a weird crux in the Marvel Universe where Bruce Banner they kind of did this weird thing you know the way they do with Batman where it's like Bruce Wayne is the mask yeah in this weird thing they did Hulk as the mask so it's not the Hulk you should be afraid of it's the guy with the genius level intellect who had an abusive childhood interesting they did this weird switch of character and he wasn't sympathetic anymore he was a bit of a dick so anyway the, Did the, he still have a big square head? He still had a... a Does Bruce Banner have a big square head? head? No. Little round round, head. Little roundy head. <laughs> little roundy head. Round is weak. Square is strong. Okay. In, in McGuinness art. Mm. Um, now... I mean, your pen. Sorry, I it's forgot. Fine. Head, it's fine. It's fine. I have lots more. Um, the important thing is that this is fine. I enjoy Hulk smash-em-ups. They're yeah. kind of fun. I could even get past... Mm-hmm. 
the dipping into his past. The defenders make an appearance. The original defenders. Oh, they're great. We'll talk make about an appearance. We did. They make an appearance in this run. It's all good. The Wendigo makes an appearance. Or Wendigo. Wendigo, depending on which pronunciation you choose to use. Yeah. Um, but Big it's head. the end of this run that annoys me. The Dunumont. Yes. The villains of this run mm-hmm. have figured out a way to siphon gamma energy from a Hulk mm-hmm. and put it into others. Yeah. making them into Hulks this is how the Red Hulk comes to light right and initially when the Red Hulk is brought on the scene Bruce Banner is gobsmacked he's like oh my god how did you how did you do this how has someone siphoned my power and made a functioning Hulk because the big difference between the Green Hulk and the Red Hulk is still the original Bear's personality yeah really with good. augmented strength mm-hmm. and he's bewildered by this he doesn't understand how this is possible and uh, but then at the end Turns out they can do this with whoever they want. And so what they do to throw the Hulk off his game and stop him saving the day is they take all the superheroes in the Marvel Universe Mm -hmm. and they gamma radiate them Mm -hmm. and turn them into Marvel Hulks. Oh, that's where that came from. And every single superhero, Storm, Wolverine, Deadpool, Hercules, Tigra, all of them, Beast, Cyclops, Black Bolt. Really? Get yeah, I don't don't ask me how they did it. I don't know. But all of a sudden Captain America but they all keep their costumes. Stretchy costumes. Stretchy costumes. Unstable fabric molecules. Captain America Hulk still uses the shield. So anyway, this is such a lobe thing where it's like, Oh, wouldn't it be cool if you know that stupid conversation you have with your idiot friend where it's like, Oh, wouldn't it be cool if Shut up, John. That wouldn't be cool. <gasps> no, no shit. <laughs> I went for it Not No Not our John Not our John Take that John Do us a favour And come on the podcast I went, Will you I went for the most common English name Oh no You've called him on English On the planet On the planet English linguistically based name On the planet John I'm so sorry Wow Anyway I'm going to end it on that one <laughs> I kind of jumped my own shark there Anyway right look So this kind of links in actually. I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with you a little bit. Oh, bang on for time. This is fucking professional. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what? what was that? Oh, shush, sorry. Say um, we I'm gonna disagree with you a little bit. Okay. Because 2002, I think mm-hmm. the Ultimates. So the ultimate. The ultimate. So Ultimate Spider-Man had been launched maybe two years before. Bless them. A retelling of Spider-Man. Bless it. A, a, a fucking long version retelling of Spider-Man. Brian Michael Bendis. Yeah, Brian Bendis, one of the um, the kind of creative powers on Ike Perlmutter's team of people who decide what's allowed happening in Marvel mm-hmm. Comics. Doesn't matter. Um, mm-hmm. So Ultimates is launched two years later. Mm-hmm. A retelling of the Avengers, sure. basically. Um, and absolutely fantastic comic book Things pretty solid amazing comic book uh, Mark Miller interestingly enough doing it well but Mark Miller under the constraints of writing for a company who aren't going to let him do horrific scenes good yeah good. you see I think with a bit of reining in he's, he's quite good, good. Um, but this is where I disagree with you the, the banner in that the Bruce Banner Hulk in that is a snivelly little weasel man Oh. And I think at one point someone even says who would play him in a movie, and they say Woody Allen. Really? Yes, but oh. this—I think you've stumbled onto something that's going to reinforce my point. Uh, one of the best things about the Ultimates is the Marvel Cinematic Universe as we know it today 
springs forth from the loins of that comic. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the Captain America we have today is Ultimate, Captain, ultimate America. Captain America. He's not the original He's not, Captain America. Yeah, no. The Nick Fury we have is Ultimate Nick Fury. Much better. Uh, the Iron Man we have is pretty close to Ultimate Iron Man. A lot Man. closer. Um, Hawkeye, uh, you could take or leave. Uh, Black Widow, who cares? Um, but a lot of the characters are... Even Thor, um, even the first Thor movie... Yeah, where people didn't know if he was really a god or just or some lunatic yeah. that's very much from the yeah. Ultimates so the Ultimates, which is how you would treat someone who went around calling themselves as undergod yes so the Ultimates was great yeah, yeah. Uh, the first two arcs were fantastic uh, nobody gets raped there's some brutality but, but there's no rape there's no raping uh, so Mark Miller great he does a great comic it's very good it's very enjoyable uh, the second volume sorry the second arc of the first volume a little bit weaker where all the villains came together to overpower the heroes no that wasn't Mark Miller this time uh, was it not? no no, he doesn't do that in the second arc of the Ultimates the first arc is fantastic um, it's the Chiatari isn't it? You know, oh shit what? yeah the first arc is the original story of the Avengers where they have to come together to stop the Hulk yes yeah. uh, and they have to stop the Hulk and then they form a team the second arc is the Chitauri. Who, which again from the, the lines from which our whole cinematic landscape is yeah. curved uh, the third arc is a little bit weird uh, it's the arc where we meet the ultimate Loki oh yeah and it turns out that Thor really is Thor and not uh, mentally ill he's not mentally ill but Loki has been subtly changing things but he's pretty powerful like he's a reality he's a reality manager. shaper yeah. and we we find it, like, like we, Loki creates this situation where everyone thinks Thor was a super soldier made by the Norwegian government, and there's like a Weird. Captain Britain. So he's like Captain oh, Norway essentially. Yeah, yeah. But that turns out to not be true. He is actually really Thor, the God of yeah. Thunder. And there's a big showdown, and the, the art is amazing. It's Brian Hitch again. Brian Hitch again. Um, cinematic Brian Hitch. Cinematic, like look, Cine Hitch. Without this. Without the Ultimates, I don't think we would have the movie and TV landscape. It's a world-changing comic. Yeah, because if only for the legacy that it yeah. gave us. Yeah. Then, Volume 3. Oh, fucking Volume 3. A new artist. Uh, Joe Maduera. Oh, I don't like his stuff. Look, he's anime-inspired. And he was, eyes. he was very, very, very popular in the 90s. Interestingly enough, I think that the Brian Hitch style became popular as an antidote to that heavily anime-inspired Fair. 90s stuff. Fair. Um, because before, that's all there was. X-Men was very popular. His X-Men were really popular. Battle Chasers? Don't know. Talk about another Sorry. day. So, that's the artist. Look, I could take or leave him. Yeah. They redesigned a lot of the characters. And they gave a lot of the characters new costumes, which were much closer to their current Avengers costumes than than they were to the Ultimates costumes. Because the Ultimate costumes were cool. The Ultimate costumes were pretty cool. Like mm. the, a lot of what the again what the cinematic universe looks like now is kind of based mm. on that. Hawkeye got a mask with a bullseye yeah, on bullseye. his face. So it, he was then bullseye or something, was he? No. He was, but he got a lot of bullseye's powers. He had the like he could kill you with anything. He kills a man by pulling out his fingernails, fingernails and yeah, flicking them out of that. Um, but volume three. Oh, and they were heavy on the Scarlet Witch, Quicksilver incest. Yes, thing. Yeah. volume three is the Scarlet Witch, Quicksilver incest 
thing. Which was always heavily implied. Well, actually, it was Brian Hitch who drew that cover, the famous Scarlet Witch voiceover incest cover. So that was Miller. Yeah. He introduced that idea. It was implied, though. Yes. Then, Volume 3, the shit fucking hits the fan. It's... And Captain America was ridiculously old-fashioned. Yeah. Doesn't he? He becomes really... Basically, a lot of the things that I just said about why authority went wrong become true of this all of the characterization from the past 18 issues or whatever it was is gone fuck they revert to their Marvel mainstream universe characterization and pastiche themselves yeah Captain America loses his hard edge soldier personality and becomes the boy scout from the 40s uh, yeah Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver become mystic gypsies the, then she gets assassinated by a Doctor Doom robot and who is supposed to be Hank Pym's Ultron? Yeah, Ultron turns out to be Doctor Doom or something. And they never... Oh. But, yeah, it goes from a great kind of realistic style telling of an Avengers-style story to a crap Avengers comic. It's not an Ultimates comic anymore. No, it's just... It's, a, it's an Avengers comic where Jeff Loeb can get away with killing characters. I actually picked that up not realising that the ultimate three ultimates because they used to number them one, two and yeah. three if you picked up the trade paperback mm-hmm. one was Hulk and Chitauri two was the Loki stuff and three yeah. was yeah and that was fine by me um, three was awful it was really bad really bad it was the beginning of the end then Jeff had his hand in Ultimatum oh, which was when the fucking ultimate yeah I love the ultimate universe so much it, it was, was so pure it was a great, great start the ultimate X-Men was great yes you read the ultimate X-Men yeah, stuff yeah it was brilliant Magneto's characterisation I have a few David Heller was in that he, as Proteus wasn't he is that, that him he's, 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 no he's, Proteus is Moira McTaggart's son but she's Charles Xavier's son in that as well so he became kind of a, an amalgamation character yeah it was Charles Xavier's son in the Ultimate Universe so it was kind of David and one of the worst things that they did in the Ultimate Universe was Marvel Team Up yeah where they started combining Avengers and stuff like that well they they did lots of team ups they did Spider-Man and Daredevil they did Spider-Man yeah. and Punisher the annuals wasn't it no it just had its own comic Marvel oh, Team really? Up Ultimate Marvel Team Up oh, I didn't know that but the only problem was they were introducing a new character a month and they didn't have the time to do it in the ultimate style. So when they introduced Ultimate Daredevil, just Daredevil. Yeah, they didn't bother doing anything yeah. extra with him. It was just Daredevil, and then they introduced Ultimate Punisher, just just Punisher. Just the Punisher. And it started the steady decline. Of, they said when the Ultimate Universe was launched that they would never cross over. They're totally separate. And then you know eventually never. Money, 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 money. Not money, money, money. Lack of money. Anyway, no. let us know what comic books you liked and then didn't like anyone ever Jeff a shark yes anyone ever go deep on you oh, oh that's not great maybe put that out sorry uh, so yeah do a, do a like there do a share do a subscribe uh, hit us up on twitter we got, we got another tweet from uh, Dean oh yeah yeah we'll look at it next week and uh, Mark talk to somebody okay buddy <laughs> cool bye bye